So in this episode, I am going to be sharing an experience that was really quite unpleasant and quite difficult to deal with at the time. And it's a time when I had to resign from a job. The reason why I'm sharing it is because not a lot of people talk about what happens or the reality of having to resign from a job or being asked to leave or it being more of a managed resignation. And I have met quite a few people who've gone through something similar and, you know, it it can be quite sensitive because there are lots of feelings of embarrassment sometimes and shame um, associated with this kind of thing. And my experience is something that I have shared with mentees in the past when they have been going through challenging situations at work and I thought it would be useful to do that. Now, what I will be doing is in separate bite-sized episodes, I will highlight the specific mistakes that I made from start to finish and give some practical advice that I myself personally have put into practice since this experience. You'll also might find it interesting to know that I will be changing the name and the artwork associated with this podcast. It has taken quite a while for me to decide to be, I guess, courageous and, you know, really allow this content to be a true reflection of who I am before, you know, I've branded other forms of content in a way that was a little bit more distant and I didn't always use the first person I didn't always share personal experiences um, mainly because I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do but also I was always quite wary of how you know other people would think and feel about the content you know my age where I live even my you know my my ethnicity has impacted my work life and my business experiences. And before, because I, I'm usually in the minority or if not the only person of colour and certainly sometimes the only woman of colour, you know, I shied away from discussing any issues or topics that were related to that for various reasons. But actually, you know, having published the first few episodes of this new podcast show you know the feedback has been really interesting and surprisingly for me quite positive people enjoy the honesty and the reason why I can be that honest or I am being that honest because that is actually me and so I think I'm in a place now where I'm comfortable with you know publishing and sharing this type of content so anyway um the podcast show the name is changing. You won't be surprised. It's Braless and Barefoot. And also the artwork will change in due course. So I'm working on those things in the background. But in the meantime, I will continue to publish weekly episodes. And, you know, I will talk about kind of any popular topics out there right now in social media. Um, and, you know, otherwise that I think are relevant and related to career building and business building and, and where appropriate, I'll definitely touch on those and draw out the relevant business and marketing lessons. And then, you know, I, I will continue to share my failures <laughs> in past, you know, experiences in, in my career, because I do know that that can help someone young going into their first time job or someone going through a difficult time now or who's trying to transition into a different job role. You know, I've done a lot of mentee, mentor and training and coaching work in this regard with both my peers and a lots of younger ones as well. So, you know, this just is a great way, very sensible and, you know, time effective way as well for me to share those experiences and also you know the content can be referred back to when needed so I wanted to just give a brief update on what is actually happening with this podcast and and where I think now I'd like to take it so this will be changing to the braless and barefoot podcast now one of the obvious reasons for that is that Really, I mean, if you're a woman, you know the relief that comes from having to take your bra off after a long day. For me, it's one of the first things I do when I get in the house. And, you know, it also conveys this idea of really quite raw, stripped back, unfiltered advice. You know, the advice really that you need to get along, you know, in your career and business and, you know, practical 
and honest as well. So that's where Bridles on Barefoot came from. It's something that I always say in general, and it actually makes sense now to probably, I think that's a, a much nicer and more fitting podcast name and the artwork will reflect that as well. So anyway, on to today's topic. There was one particular toilet cubicle I would always sit in during my work day when I used to work for a big bank and the reason why I'd always be in that cubicle was because it was the only place that I could get some peace and quiet and just think about what it is that I needed to do. Years on, there are so many lessons I've been able to take away from that experience that really does, you know, help me now when it comes to, you know, being in the corporate environment. But back then, that was my first real senior position in, in a corporate job. And I was not prepared for it. And I know that now, <laughs> after having gone through the experience. And I was very isolated because at the time I didn't have any peers who were also in similar positions to me. And, you know, I didn't know anybody at that new workplace. So it was all a really, really steep learning curve. And what I'm going to do is use this episode to actually tell the story of what happened. And then in future episodes, I'll produce little mini episodes where I give very targeted advice for every mistake that I made, okay? We're in a time now where more and more people are going into corporate environments and sometimes it's younger and younger, you know? Sometimes you see a lot of these job descriptions with the, you know, the title manager. I mean, mind you, sometimes they're not paying very much, but, you know, they're putting manager, so they're giving managerial responsibilities to more junior staff as a way probably to save money, but actually... The issue is whether these 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 individuals are prepared and equipped to carry out those roles, particularly if they're going to be managing other people as well. A lot of the mentees that I've spoken to have kind of shared their concerns about working under a manager who's the same age as them. And the reason why the age is relevant in this case is that sometimes those managers may not have the people skills and experience to be managing. And that presents some challenges at work, which is why I was prompted this in this episode to share this story about how I had to resign before I was let go. And you may have experienced this before where you can sense this isn't working out. This is becoming more and more you know, difficult to deal with. These people are more difficult to deal with. And at the time, I felt for my peace of mind, it was the best thing to do was to resign. And it's not a pretty story. It was really, really awful experience. So, you know, I remember this job because it gave me a really steep pay rise. Okay. And as I say, it was my first manager role. Not manager role. I'd say first senior you know, tight role within finance. Okay. So, you know, my first day got there, was given a laptop and there was no direction as to really what to do. And there were two other uh, individuals who worked in the wider team who were there when I joined, but I was actually the only one doing my job in the London office at that time. And I can tell you, I actually was really positive and optimistic because I'd worked really hard. I'd gone for this interview and in my previous job, you know, one of the managers basically said to me, I can't believe you even got that job. I didn't even know you knew anything about that. And, you know, you get those kind of people. So I just rolled my eyes in my head and thought, don't underestimate me. You know, I study hard. I work hard. I'd been looking for this type of job for some time and I just really, you know, put my best foot forward, you know. And I'll talk about my job searching strategies in another mini episode and give some advice about how you can use agencies as well as your own um, method and system to find good jobs. But anyway, went through a rigorous interview process, or so I thought, 
Now, again, I will talk in another episode about the questions you should ask in an interview as the interviewee. Okay, because there's a lot of people who don't realise that at the end of an interview, when they say, do you have any more questions? That is a really good opportunity for you to get to know that person, that hiring manager very well and get to know more about the company so you can make a decision as to whether you want to do that particular job with those people. Really important. So in another episode, I'll talk about the questions to ask, the research to do on a company before you accept a role. So went to the interview. It was explained to me, look, this is what we're looking for. We're just building out a brand new team. Your role is new. And there were and that was really about it. Um, so got offered the job and I was so chuffed, you know, really quite excited and happy because, as I say, this was a big step up, which at the time I definitely felt ready for. But I was not prepared for the subsidiary challenges. OK, and this is where the story gets a little bit sticky. So. First week on the job. Um, a colleague who'd been there longer than me, she really did, she was very pleasant. She took me, in many ways, under her wing in terms of, you know, now I think she'd been working by herself for quite some time, so she, you know, managed to, well, now she had more company, right, in me. And so, and before that, there was little, or actually, I'll go, there was no diversity in the team. And so, for those reasons, she was quite excited that I had joined. And I was a Londoner, you know, I was young as well. I was the youngest person in the team. I was in, still really in my early 20s. And so, you know, we seemed to click in some ways. I thought, great, someone pleasant who sits across the, the room from me that at least I can go over and ask the question or a question if I need to you know uh we would pop to lunch occasionally together you know we just had one of those kind of very cordial um she told me a lot about her family and all of those kind of things so we got on fairly well and the rest of the team in the wider business worked in other offices around the country so there would be a daily video not video, voice calls, you know, one of those conference call type things where we would all, you know, discuss what's happening for the day. We look at the general inbox and the inflow of work and that work would be delegated, distributed during that morning call. In the probably within the first two or three, I it must have been the third day on this conference call, um, two individuals in the other teams started asking me questions. This is all during the meeting, mind you, about what my actual job was. They kept questioning me as, what exactly are you doing? We don't know what you're doing. We need to know what you're doing. Now, me being naive at that time, I didn't really think it was a problem. The tone of voice used, and as I say, it was quite, you know, very challenging, questioning. I picked up that there was a slight undertone, okay? And as this continued over a series, you know, of days, it did start to make me feel a little bit uncomfortable and ruffled because there was then this suggestion that, you know, I wasn't doing anything and also that they needed to know. So I was a bit confused and I spoke to my superior and said, look, I'm not sure how much, what is it you want me to tell them? Because I assumed that when you recruited, you let them know the role was available. It was recruited for, I assume there'd be some type of induction, introduction of me into the team. You know, what is it you want me to say? <laughs> so Anyway, I had to muddle through that experience with the support of, as I say, the colleague who had really tried to take me under her wing. But it was very challenging. I'd get emails all the time. What are you doing? Have you done this? Have you done that? Now, bear in mind, no metrics were discussed with me. No specific you know, tasks that I was required to do were discussed with me at the start of the role, right? I had approached the manager on my first day and said, what do you want to do? She gave me some immediate projects to work on. What she didn't do was tell me about the standard kind of tasks and objectives that came with my role, you know, in terms of when you're, you know, when you're benchmarked across 
other positions, other people doing your same position across the business. There's actually some BAU tasks, that's business as usual tasks that everyone has to do. And these tasks are like daily and weekly tasks. So they are in addition to the project work that you are assigned. Now, unfortunately for me, being naive, I hadn't asked about BAU work because I didn't know there was any because I was, you know, the conversations we'd had during recruitment and in my first week with my manager were all about the project work. So I was happy to share, this is the project work I'm doing with, you know, the colleagues who worked in the other offices around the UK. And in that time, no one said to me, there are BAU tasks that you need to also be handling. So when I found out about these BAU tasks, I went on a, you know, research. So I talked to my manager again and I said to her, look, you know, can you do, is there a document? Is there a shared drive? Where can I find out what it is that I'm meant to be doing? And she basically said, look, go to the other people doing what you do in the other offices. Now, these were the same people who had been challenging me, right, by email or on the phone. So I went to them. They explained what they do as part of their kind of basic BAU tasks. And so I then figured it out and worked out what it was I was meant to be doing. And then I created like a system and process that I could follow. So for a little while, it seemed to be getting better. You know, I was handling those BAU tasks and I was doing the project work. Now, unbeknown to me, you know, a lot of the project work, as you know, you have to delegate and supervise and coordinate all the other stakeholders, all the other, you know, team players who may be collating certain information or handling their specialist area within a project. And there were times where people weren't doing what they were meant to be doing on time and I would chase and whatnot. And I used to have, I think it was like a weekly meeting with my manager where I needed to update her on the status of each of these projects. And some of them were obviously lagging behind and I had tried my best to, you know, you know, really get other people, you know, ask them, what do you need me to do? What are the missing areas? What can I do to help you get this task done? And I remember one particular team meeting and one of my colleagues basically said, oh, Ashanti's thrown us under the bus. And I thought, what is he talking about? Well, obviously, my manager had taken the status updates I'd given her and then gone back to these individuals and said, well, what are you doing? Where are you at with these tasks? And that, honestly, because I was in my early 20s, you know, I felt terrible. I really did. And I said, look, I'm so sorry if you feel that way. I obviously gave an honest update. I have chased and I would never have said or done anything that was untruthful or anything to undermine you and your job. And, you know, it was so awkward. It was really awkward in that meeting. And after the meeting, my manager pulled me aside. And this is really indicative of the type of manager she was. And this is, you know, she didn't like managing people. And in that meeting afterwards, she said to me, look, I don't like managing people. I have no intention of being a people manager. I am just trying to, you know, get to the next position. And at that time, she was a director. She wanted to go on to become a more senior director and head up her own department. But she said, look, I don't like managing people. Now, bear in mind, this is after she's already recruited me. She's now telling me she doesn't like managing people. And when I said to her, look, I wasn't trying to throw anybody under the bus. Obviously, I was trying to do my job well. She said to me, you know what you need to do, Ashanti, is you need to learn to be more resilient. Now, as years have gone on and even when I left that job initially, I now understand what she meant by being more resilient. Because in other words, she was saying more of this is to come. You need to learn not to be affected by any of the politics around you. And this unspoken, almost invisible language that is spoken in the corporate world, you need to know it and you need to be fluent in it to survive. Because up until that point, the reason why I'd done so well in my career was because I focused on my job. I was really good at my job. But I hadn't really had to deal with and navigate any of the politics of working with people and their agendas and what they want and who they like, who they don't like, and how you kind of weave in and out of those situations to get your job done, to be liked by people, okay, and to be 
basically invited in and included in conversations, events and things that are happening that enable you to do your job even better. For example, you know, networking events, coffee chats, drinks after work, all of these things are actually tools and they're channels that are used within these environments to suss people out, to, you know, cherry pick people for promotions, to cherry pick people for projects that they can use to, you know, launch or springboard into the next position. And these were just, this was a whole world that was going on around me that I was just out of the loop on because of the way I was recruited. I was recruited without the real knowledge of the rest of the team. You know, I didn't have a manager that actually managed me. And so it kind of, I was left to figure it out, which I did probably in a very clumsy, um, you know, always apologetic way. And that's another thing as well. Back in those days, I was so anxious, hence why I'd always end up in this one cubicle in the bathroom, you know, because sometimes I just needed to think. Sometimes I felt, you know, like breaking down, quite frankly, towards the end of that particular job experience. I just felt like breaking down most days because you know, the emails I'd get from colleagues, passive aggressive, you know, CCing other people about things I had no knowledge of in the first place. You know, whatever I did wasn't good enough, even when I did it exactly the way they told me to do it. You know, I remember towards the end of my experience there, they then instituted a proper induction process with a whole booklet that had systems and deadlines and milestones for any newcomer in that role. That wasn't there when I joined. And ironically enough, they asked me to give feedback and input on it. And, you know, that got people's backs up because obviously by that time, I felt like basically I'd was like a lamb led to the slaughter. And I felt really annoyed within myself, mostly, that I'd put myself in that situation. I literally had to learn everything about the corporate world in a very short amount of time to make sure I kept my job while I figured out what my next steps were. And, you know, what happened was is that that manager who recruited me, she was obviously focused on her career progression. And so she got a promotion. I would say within about it was about probably four months of me joining that workplace so she got her promotion and off she went now let me tell you she did not even tell me that she'd been promoted she didn't tell me she was moving one day I just received a lot of um calendar cancellations so you know that weekly meeting I had with her to update her I just received a string of cancellations and I thought oh that's strange so I dropped her PA a, a, a email and I said to her look I'm receiving all these cancellations are they going to be rearranged and she said no she's not your manager anymore that is how I found out she was being promoted and moved to another part of the business It was then when I emailed her, I said, what's going on? She then, I think she replied and CC'd in my new manager who had been managing the rest of this UK team, but not me. That new manager then said, oh, you know, we'll catch up for a chat fairly soon. So you can understand, there's no communication. And when I raised this with the new manager in the meeting, she was basically like, look, it is what it is. I'm managing you now. I manage my team very differently to the way you've been managed before. I'm putting you on a performance plan because you're underperforming when benchmarked against your, you know, your peers. So you can imagine now, now it's extra pressure because what they did was is they put me on a performance plan with HR, which, you know, at the time it looks like they could do no consultation from me. And I basically started on this performance plan, which was extremely stressful because I'd say about 55%, 60% of that plan I could do. I'd gotten to to grips with that element of the role. The other 40% was what the teams in the rest of the UK had been doing that I basically had not been trained in, I was unaware of. So it was all quite new. And you know, I really had to buckle down. You know, there were daily meetings. Uh, every day, twice a day, I had a meeting with one of my peers in the other UK team. So you can see, I wasn't even managed by someone neutral. It was the same people who had, had you know, said that they didn't know who I was, didn't like the fact that I was recruited without the rest of the team being informed. They were now marking elements, as it were, of my, my work. I remember 
you know, going to away days and trainings. And, you know, you have like these annual meetings in banks and walking into rooms with the whole of the team that I worked in that was spread across the UK and no one talking to me. You know, and only having that one person, which was that one colleague in the London office who had, you know, become quite, you know, pleasant and she talked to me. She was really the only person who would talk to me. And, you know, they would do things like, you know, they would talk about me and tell her and then she would tell me, you know, well, so-and-so said this, so-and-so feels this way. And it was just awful. The whole experience was just awful awful to the point where as I said towards the end of that job I I never did break down on the job in the job but the bathroom was my only solace it was my place of solace during my break the non-existent break that you know and and you know it was so difficult because every day I'd get up I'd you know have my list of things to do I would have prepared from the night before and you know you're I looked exactly what it was I was asked to do I made sure I clarified anything and the interesting thing was that the other people that I worked with so i.e where I was you know uh, managing relationships and accounts and projects with people outside of that team was absolutely fine those people spoke to me fine you know my feedback on those projects was excellent There were projects that they gave me that, you know, I did incredibly well on, especially projects that were new in the business, etc. So when I was working with people outside of my department, not a problem, not a problem. But the other people inside of my team who, you know, we were all in multiple locations. It was just a constant dread, an absolute dread. The day I hated going to work, it got to that point where I just did not look forward to going to work at all. And I really had to build myself up whenever I had to get off my stop on the DLR and walk to my office, you know, and go up in the lift to work, sit at my desk and go on that morning call. It was just getting unbearable. And so in my head, I had decided, look, regardless of the outcome of this performance plan, I'm going to leave. And with the performance plan, they kept extending it. So every time I got great feedback, any time I met the standard, there would always be something else, always something else, whether it was a minor detail on one of the objectives or metrics, there would always be something that this new manager said, you haven't done well enough. And, you know, it's funny because, you know, I look back now and, you know, I have had to almost, you know, forgive myself for, the inexperience that I had but I wish I had realized that the whole point of being put on the performance plan was to be managed out in the first place you know there I was sitting in these meetings when they told me about the performance plan obviously they gave me the impression this was quite simply to bring me up in terms of benchmarking against my peers across the country and then move on But in reality, it was designed to manage me out. And obviously, me being me, I really thought, great, let me get to grips with everything. Let me understand full expectations. Because remember, before this manager, I had a manager that didn't manage me. So I was really happy. I love boundaries. I love to know what the standards, the metrics and the expectations are because the type of person I am, I go off, I research, I find out, I talk to people and make sure I understand every element required and then bring more. But obviously I hadn't had an opportunity to do that before because A, I wasn't smart enough to realise that, that, that I needed to manage that relationship with a manager who didn't manage me. And, and B, unfortunately, that manager didn't want to manage, right? That wasn't her goal. Her goal was to just keep being promoted. So she's in her new role, enjoying it thoroughly, you know, the status and all of that that comes with it. And she basically just left me in the wind. You know, I can tell you, I never, I don't think I ever saw her again or spoke to her after the day I received that series of calendar cancellations. So I'm in this performance plan now. 
I can see, I remember the day it clicked to me that actually they don't want me to pass and they don't expect me to. So that's why they keep extending it or highlighting new metrics that need to be included. And bear in mind, I was the first person to be recruited into this team for seven years, I think it was. And before then, they had very high attrition, which should have been a red flag to me had I known to ask those questions in the interview. More on that in a different episode. But the rest of the team around the UK, you know, had been working in those posts. I think the average was something like eight years. So they've been doing this job. That's why, you know, they understood their job. And also that's why those metrics existed, because partly those metrics were created by that team. But they didn't share those with me when I was recruited because of the obviously structural setup at that time. And they were, you know, unhappy with the way the recruitment was done. And I believe one of them in particular had wanted my role. And also me being located in London, I was getting paid slightly more than they were because they were based outside of London. So this is all information that I only managed to glean halfway through my job there. Okay. And really too late to know that information. So I remember one particular time, there was a time in London a few years ago where there were consistent train strikes during the the summer, it was like summer into autumn and it was just consistent, always train strikes all the time, all the time, all the time. And so what they'd started doing was the common sense thing to do was, um, because we all hot desk anyway, they said, look, work from home on these strike days, not a problem. Okay. Now what happened was, is this new manager who, I, who was, you know, taking me through this performance plan was, uh, she said to me, look, I want you to come in on that day. So bear in mind the whole team and not just my team, we're talking the workforce based in this location in London. We're going to be working from home. Okay. She said, no, I want you to come in. I said, okay. You know, I said to her, look, to be honest, the, I am affected by the train strike. So it's going to take me quite some time to get in, but I'm, I'm going to come in because if you want the face to face catch up, fine. She insisted, you must come in. Now, on that particular train strike day, it was also pouring with rain. The rain was torrential on that day. And I ended up having to walk to work quite a way. So um, I had to get off um, and then walk the rest of the way. It was about an hour's walk. Okay. I got up extra early so that I still made it to work early. I think the meeting was at nine. So I made sure I was, I usually used to get to work between half seven, eight, usually anyway, to get this early start, particularly during the very stressful times. I needed that extra time to just, you know, get my laptop open, check the status of projects, check the status of, you know, any outstanding emails, etc. I tried my best to get, you know, be ahead of the game. And I mean, let me tell you, when I was ahead, because there was a period of time, as I say, great feedback. And I thought, great, you know, I'm seeing an upturn and things feel like they're improving. And, you know, <laughs> when you go on that morning voice, you know, morning conference call, you could feel that, you know, disappointment from them when I was doing particularly well, when external feedback came back, which was good. Okay. And was fed back to the team about my manner, the way I've handled something and the way I've managed to bring the project in on time. You could feel that disappointment, you know, feel it in the room, but I could sense the change whenever they thought there was one thing I hadn't done well. Sometimes, you know, I remember once I've forgotten you know, one particular element of a task that I was doing. And I wasn't doing that regularly, but I'd forgotten it. I tell you the glee in the voice of my colleague, you know, on the the, the team meeting when she pointed it out, you know, so she asked me, this new manager to come in. I walked, it was raining. I brought a change of clothes. So I walked to work with trainers on. I don't do the whole trainers, tights and skirt thing. Sorry. Um, so I was in my fitness wear, got to work, changed, etc. went up to my desk. Now, 10 to 9 comes, 
five to nine, I checked the calendar invite, went into the meeting room that was, you know, specified, sat there, 9.05, passed. I went back to my desk, checked with her PA that I had the right calendar, the right time and date. She said, yes, you do. I then waited, waited. I called the manager and she said, oh, sorry, I couldn't make it in today. I'm not going to make it in today because of the train strikes. That was my last straw. At that point, I did go to the cubicle I usually go to for solace. But I can tell you, I wasn't breaking down. I was livid, 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 livid that I had put myself in this situation that I had, you know, allowed myself to be treated like that at this level. Because she full well and knew she was never going to make that meeting. And I understood it was a power play when she insisted that I come in, even though everybody else would be working from home. I understood at that point it was a power play. But I didn't really think that she wouldn't come in at all. I didn't really think that knowing, and I had told her, look, I'm going to have to walk in part of the way and it's scheduled to rain. She said, I still want to see you face to face. Now, I just, that was it for me. I'd reached the end at that point. And I said, you know what? You need to find another job. Now, I didn't tell them that. I still continued on with the performance plan. But I remember there was another meeting. The meeting after that, again, she didn't actually turn up. And, you know, what gets me, and I learnt a lot during that time period. These are the same managers. Honestly, she used to come into work hungover hung over all of those away days those training events the socials she used to drink the most and be the most inappropriate in her speech and actions during those times I understood a lot of things from that time period about the corporate working world um and you know I remember that last meeting that I had with her and she said to me, you know what, I've got to be honest with you, because at that point they'd extended the performance plan again by another 30 days. Fine. And I was actually doing rather well. There was literally one element left and 30 days was more than enough to demonstrate competency in this area because I had enough projects in my pipeline to be able to focus on that competency. And, you know, she said, she basically just said to me, do you know what? Yes, there's a month left, but to be honest with you, I don't think you're going to pass. That's what she said. I said, what are you telling me? Are you telling me you're not going to pass me? Because if that's the case, then we need to be having a different conversation right now. I said to her, which one are you saying? You know, what is the basis for this conclusion? And are you pre-warning me that you're going to fail me anyway after all this time and the work that I put in? Now, she didn't really want to commit to saying anything specific, and I forced her to. Now, what I did after that meeting is, is I actually went back to my desk and I went to speak to her boss. Now, the irony was he used to sit literally adjacent to me. So they're all glass offices and my desk was in like a communal hot desking area. But along the wall, you know, you always get those kind of glass, um, you know, floor to ceiling glass walls. Um, some of them are actual offices for very senior individuals and then some of them are meeting rooms that have to be booked and so he used to sit adjacent to me and I knew that as soon as because if you were going to any kind of HRE type stuff went through like a central portal but he would be notified automatically anytime an email came through or a process was triggered and so I thought you know what I can't sit here while he can see me in his eyesight and resign and not say anything before. So I did. I knocked on his door. I spoke to him very politely. I said, look, as you're aware, I'm on a performance plan. I assume you're aware of the history behind this performance plan. And I've just been told that I'm going to be, um, you know, told to, to leave anyway on the basis of performance related to this plan. And he raised an eyebrow. I said, I assume you know this already. I said, I'm about to resign, but I don't want to do that. And you get this automated email in the next two minutes and I'm sitting right in your eye line. <laughs> so I'm telling you, you know, out of courtesy, really, I'm about to resign. Because, again, as I said to you, this team had experienced high attrition. 
up until this point. And funny enough, part of my job role was the training and the induction and the mentoring of grads, interns and newcomers. Again, something I was excellent at because before that point, they didn't have anyone who did that and they didn't have anyone who cared to do it. And so that had been a real plus when, you know, you as a business unit, you have to submit your strategy and your updates to the wider business. That was a real plus for us as a team. Okay, these were elements they could not even talk about before because there was no development happening within the team. Anyway, you know, he basically said to me, why are you doing this? Are you sure? And I said, it's not up to me. I said to him, I've already been told whatever happens at the end of the four weeks, they're going to ask me to leave on the basis of this performance plan and this one particular competency. And so he said to me, oh, okay. well, he kind of asked me to think about it. He said, look, I would really appreciate it. You know, I think you've done some good work here. I'd appreciate it if you rethink this. Now, I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I gave it all of that in the meeting. But I was, you know, very monotone in voice because by that point I'd reached the end of my tether. As I say, I passed the point of breaking down in tears or feeling frustrated. And I can tell you, you know, before I started that job, I'd lost significant weight. And I'd done that for a number of reasons, my health being one, but also visually and aesthetically, I wanted to try and fit into what was there. You know what it's like, you know, you know, you know, the type of attire and the look that a lot of the other women in these offices tend to have. And although I didn't have that look, I knew keeping my weight down and I have a very good sense of style. And and actually, that's a good thing about being fat. If you know what you're doing, you dress properly. Okay, you get the right cut style and fit for your figure. And so in terms of quality of clothing and overall coordination, etc., I was right where I needed to be. But in this time, I had gained so much weight because of the stress. You know, I didn't there was a, I couldn't even go to the gym. I didn't have time. I was just working, 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 working. You know, this job was driving me mad because I really wanted to do well at it. But I, I you know, there were so many challenges. Some of them I was unaware of due to inexperience. And, you know, it was just all the wrong. Nothing fitted. The puzzle was not coming together on this one. And so I thought I've had enough of this because, you know, now I'm fatter. And I'm so stressed. My confidence level was just depleting rapidly because I just didn't know what more I could do. You know, and in that time, you know, I'd always be asking for feedback. So as you can imagine, that's great because then you can really figure out what you are and what you're not doing well. However, constantly focusing on what you're not doing well, which is what was happening in that job, it can have a negative effect on confidence. And so... I did think about it for the day or two and then I resigned. Now, I received a call from that manager uh, later on that same afternoon after I went in and spoke to the, you know, the big boss and let him know I'm going to resign. And again, on the phone, she basically just threatened me and said, you need to be careful who you speak to. All of our conversations should be just between you and I. So obviously he must have gone back to her and spoken to her about the exchange. And I said to her, I can talk to whoever I want to talk to. And that was that. And, you know, this is the controlling and manipulative behaviour that this manager had. You know, considering, and I told him, look, I came in for a meeting and she didn't even turn up. And she's saying it's because of the train strikes. That was the very reason why everyone was working from home. And I was meant to be working from home as well. So if I had to make it in and walk, why is she exempt? I don't believe she had any intention of ever turning up. Now, after I resigned, she tried to keep calling and emailing me. She called me twice and basically said, you know, I'd love to see your CV. I'd love to know what other jobs you're applying for. Uh, no, I did not share any of that details. I never sent her a copy of my CV. I never informed her of, you know, what jobs I was applying for. I'm not that silly. I know I may appear stupid up until this point because you definitely played the game well. And I was a very easy and weak opponent for her. But I knew at that point that would not be a good move. Now, I will talk in another episode about what to do if you're looking for work after coming out of a really difficult job experience. 
because there was a lot that I learned from that as well. I went on to make another, I made a, you know, I took another job, but that wasn't the best choice and not because of the same dynamics, but in terms of where I was at in myself, you know, I didn't make the best decision in terms of the job that I accepted. And it still took me another, I'd say, eight months to really get back on an even keel when it came to my um, confidence within my work and my profession. And, And this was a huge knockback for me because up until that point, you know, I was always the top or the highest performer in any team I'd worked in before. That's why I'd been able to get that job in the first place. So I was at a point now where I knew I needed to resign. I had resigned. And of course, I had to figure out how to position that when looking for new roles. I had to update my CV and I had to then do a combination of my own independent search and go back to using agencies to find roles so that I could transition into another job. And I will, in another episode, talk about how you can do that because I think there's a skill and there's a system that you can use. I was in another job within, I don't think I even missed a month, actually. I went straight into another job. Now, you know, that was a terrible experience. As I say, I I hadn't talked about this experience in a long time, even though I'm always willing to share it with mentees because I think it's useful to them. Outside of that, I just didn't really talk about it. I did feel a lot of shame and self-consciousness and lots of feelings of failure, really, because it was a steep learning curve. I wish I had done some things differently, starting from the very beginning in the interview that I went to. You know, it was tough. It was such a tough experience, very isolating, because obviously the rest of my colleagues, they didn't care, you know, and that's fine. So... It was interesting, actually, because they did recruit when my manager, the first manager who didn't like to manage just before she left. She recruited somebody else, which, as you can tell, probably didn't go down well either with the rest of the UK teams. Now, that individual, she'd been brought in kind of on like a teacher's pet kind of thing. You know, she was just liked in the old team and she'd come up through the bank's graduate system. So, you know, they love their alumni individuals and she was, you know, visually everything you you need and would want in that type of position. You know, and she had the gift of the gab, you know, talking to people, you know, those people who know every Tom, Dick and Harry in the office and, you know, very chummy with um, the PAs, etc. That kind of girl, you know, and great. I thought, fantastic. I'm not by myself physically anymore. Um, so, you know, one of my jobs, funny enough, was to help her get used to the role. Now, obviously, I'd learned a hell of a lot by then. So I was able to say, look, here's these are the resources. Let me know if you need anything. And the funny thing is, while I was going through my troubles, you know, she obviously <laughs> she, you know, uh, was still, you know, in on it. You know, sometimes she wouldn't talk to me either. You know, very inconsistent. I thought, OK, I had gone numb by then, really. And um, I remember uh, just after I left, she messaged me, you know, privately on WhatsApp and basically said to me, you know, um, I <laughs> they put me on a performance plan now. You know, can you help? And I said to her, look, I gave you advice while I was there. You know, do your best and see how it goes. And she then came back and said to me, now I understand what you were going through. You know, because sometimes... I certainly felt like it was in my imagination and I started to internalise a lot of what was happening and really did feel like this was my failure. It's just that I can't do this particular job and it is what it is. Need to move on, need to think about what other things I can do because maybe this isn't for me. That's how bad it had actually got, you know, in terms of my confidence and my thoughts and my own competence. And, you know, but you're not imagining it. Because later on, you know, the same thing happened to her. And, you know, I guess my point is this, is that it's a fine balance to strike. 
depending on where you work and what you do, understand the difference between a colleague and a friend. Have no expectations in terms of advocacy and loyalty and, you know, open communication. You know, have your own principles and values and integrity. And that's probably the only thing I took away from that job in that I had stayed true to who I was. I was always honest to a fault. And and actually that those weren't qualities they really needed in stuff. Right. What they needed is people who would just play the game. And I didn't understand the game. That was my first type of role at that level in that kind of environment. So I didn't understand the game and I was therefore not equipped to play that game, okay? So that your employer gets what they want and you are getting something from that as well. So that really was the experience at that workplace. I resigned before they let me go. Obviously that helped me position, you know, that particular period in my career in in a way that did not disadvantage me moving forward. And I was quite fortunate because I didn't even need to go back to them for a reference, um, considering the level and, you know, prominence of this particular bank. I didn't need to go back for them to a reference because for a reference because of the way I maneuvered myself. You know, I really had to dig deep on those resulting interviews because I didn't even believe in myself. At that point, when I was going to those interviews, I didn't think I could even do the job. I didn't even know what I could do, if I'm honest. You know, I was just numb and completely, you know, depleted and quite withdrawn. And so, you know, these things happen because, you know, it's interesting that after that situation passed, you know, I was speaking to some other older women of colour who have been in these environments for a long time. And they began to share their experiences with me from years past. And, you know, she, you know, they said, look, it's not as uncommon as you think. It's not actually you either. Just understand the game, learn the game and play it better if you want to work in some of these industries and sectors. And so that's why for me now I am, it is an experience I share with mentees when they confide or share difficulties that they're going through dealing with managers who can't manage, managers who don't want to manage, and also peers who are, you know, trying to, you know, get ahead in their careers and, you know, and how that impacts and affects other people within the team. So I hope that's been, you know, helpful by sharing that experience. You might have a similar experience or you're going through something like that right now. What I will do in separate bite-sized chunk episodes so that they're very focused and clear is isolate the biggest mistakes I made, okay, right from the application process to when I left and give my advice and tips on what I've learned now years later about how to avoid or handle and manage those situations.